TTYA Talks, the podcast. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of TTYA Talks. I started this platform as a way to be able to connect successful women who are working in the creative industries and sports. So today guys, we're going to focus on presenting and I have an incredible guest who's going to join us today and why I felt her journey was so important is because she's someone who from a young age knew exactly what she wanted to do and I get so many questions in my DM like, oh, did you always know you were to end up where you are now and you know I kind of within this whole podcast series I want to show different setups different show different life stories but also show different journeys and I think it's important for us to understand the journey so that we just don't see the end result I'm going to introduce you know Maya and why Maya I think's journey is so important is because I think it really pinpoints someone who knew what she wanted to do from beginning to end and did whatever it took to get to her end goal. So, you know, whether that was moving to London, you know, hustling her way through the industry, I think it's important for people to see the journey. And so, yeah, without further ado, guys, I'm going to introduce my super talented, super beautiful, incredibly inspiring friend, Maya Jamar. Hello. Hi, my angel. How are you doing? Yeah, it makes me shy when I hear you speaking to me about you like that. <laughs> Why? That you are literally probably one of the most hardworking women that I know. Like, Thanks. swear down. Because I don't even really know how you fit it all in. But we're going we're gonna to kind of get into that. So, mm-hmm. like I kind of said, it's just like, I think I wanted this episode to kind of really concentrate on the world of presenting. Because I think it's a job that really gets made <laughs> to look a hell of a lot easier mm. than it actually really is. And for someone who's kind of, put in the graft and put into work and I think your story is so inspirational to so many women just on a hustle mentality kind of point of view as well and everything you kind of put in to kind of get into where you are now so I think like I always say at the beginning of all of these things where should we start let's start at the beginning okay <laughs> let's start at the beginning so like yeah talk to us about like where you grew up your education and you know what your home life was like and how that impacted you and your career me as a person. So I was born in Bristol yeah. back in the day, 1994. Ooh, yeah. Bristol massive. 90s, baby. Is it? And I suppose I it was kind of the, it's the hood. St. Paul's in Bristol was the hood back then. I don't know how good it is now. But um, we, me, my mum and my dad and my little brother lived there. And then we moved to, oh, I don't know how much detail I go in. Okay, yeah, fuck it. So yeah, me and my mum and my dad lived there. My dad went to jail when I was about three. Um, just because he's just a wild man. I did a documentary on it, actually, uh, when I was 21, about prison dads and how it is for a child to grow up with a parent or family member in jail and how it affects you growing yeah. up and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which is actually still on the Channel 5 website if anyone wants to watch. Plug, um, plug, give it to them. Yeah, a little plug. But yeah, so he <laughs> went to jail when I was super young. And I think at the time, like, I don't know, as, as well as everything, when you're in a situation, you don't really realise how, like, bad it is or how serious it is when you're Mm -hmm. in it you just kind of it's your norm so I didn't really think it was that different to anybody else's upbringing around that time because all my friends around my area they had dads in jail too and we were all in it together and it was like okay and then we moved to Sweden for a couple of years um and I went to nursery there my grandparents are from Sweden my mum's side and lived there for a bit I could speak fluent Swedish um in, in 
uh, what's it called, nursery? Yeah, nursery. But then my mum stopped speaking it to me as soon as we moved back. So now that's like my one big thing that she didn't let me continue to learn the language because now I can only say like, can I stroke your dog? And some other <laughs> random phrases. Some naughty words. <laughs> yeah, just the stupid things. So yeah, I was by yeah. the one point that died. Um, but yeah, I came back to Bristol and then stayed in St. Paul's for a little while. I kind of had like, I had a really nice upbringing when I think back on it. It wasn't conventional in the slightest. Like, we were super broke. My mum was working a million jobs. I remember she probably would hate me telling you this, but she worked in, like, KFC at one point and all these kind of places just so that me and my brother were cool. But I was also lucky because I had a super supportive, like, auntie system. Like, all my dad's side Mm -hmm. of my family, my Somali side, they were fully involved. So they do all the things that, like, I suppose a dad should do. So we never really missed out because if my mum needed to work, they'd look after us. And, yeah, we we had a good, like, bond around us growing up. And then after a few years there, I moved to a better area in Bristol where my mum got a council house. So, like, they took us out of the, the ends, I suppose, and then gave us a house which was in, I suppose you'd kind of call it a poshest posh-ish kind of area but it, it mm-hmm. was able for, it made it able for us to get into cotton school which is a decent school very mixed like you'd have some people that had like well I'd had one friend in school that had like a jacuzzi in our garden and then my other friend in school that had wow, like must be people. nice yeah this is the thing <laughs> it was very contrasting which now as I've got older I've realized isn't very common like you either have a school where everyone's from similar backgrounds or you know what I mean the other yeah. but, my school was mad mix. So you'd go to like a house party with, yeah, the jacuzzi in the garden and seven bedrooms. And then you'd also go to your friend's house that had seven people living in a two bed. One, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it was the ends of the spectrum. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. As I've got older, I feel like that's such a, I don't know, when you're growing up as a child, it plays such a huge part what school you go to and what people you mix around to make you be Agreed. able to get on with different types of people in life as well. Mm-hmm. So you build different social skills, I suppose. I knew how to carry myself around like the posh ones and then also the ones from where I was from. And like, I don't know, it was nice. It was nice. You could do uptown, down, you could do uptown, downtown. You could be yeah, yeah. downtown road girl and you could do uptown posh one. So you could do both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was all nice. I had a good school. I loved school. I thought it was so fun. Like I was a proper mm-hmm. class clown. I also had like the whole thing in my mind from a young age of I want to be on telly. Like from about seven, okay. I remember just the videos of me at like Christmases and stuff being like, oh, I'm going to be on telly one day. And like, I do loads of performances in my kitchen and I don't know, show off to all my family members of the dance routine I made up or whatever it was. And I think my whole family were like, yeah, one day you're going to do something in that world and was super supportive of that. Um mm-hmm. And then, yeah, through school, I didn't really pay that much attention. As I said, I was a bit of a class clown and I focused just purely on dance, drama, music, anything that was like... Artsy, creative yeah yeah, yeah. creative mm-hmm. stuff like, I'm really not very academic at all I still don't have a maths GCSE which is just a big stress of mine but I've let it go because oh you could do it babe I mean you could like... do it Chima Nugget Chima Nugget one all of that all of that jazz pie yeah, equals all of that jazz you Part could do it babe like it's too late I'm like um did I miss put it in the bin you don't need it we've got calculators in it it's fine and that's it but yeah, so I did all that and then was really good at drama and all that stuff and had loads of auditions in school. Some would be in London, some would be around Bristol and things. And it was always just in my mind of like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I didn't really allow myself another option, which I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the best thing for everyone. But for me, it was like tunnel vision vibes that kind of gave me a lot of my motivation. Like if this doesn't work, then I don't know what else I want to do. There's nothing else that makes me happy than like performing and, you know, being in a film, in a like, drama or a play or whatever it was that I was doing at the yeah. time um, and then 
this is kind of like a speedy version. But yeah, my school skins um, in Bristol used to come and audition for kids at school at my school. Sorry, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure why it was. It was kind of a specialist in performing arts, but they just came to our school. And I remember we were in year ten, and I was 15, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is my big break. I'm going for it. I'm going to be in skins." And like the whole school pretty much auditioned and I was walking around like, yeah, and you get through like three stages and then everyone kind of gets whiffed out. And then there was only like three people from our school left in the final one. Then it would get out of the school. And then I got to the final level of auditions out of all these thousands of kids. And I, I thought, this is it, mate. I've got it. Um, another thing I should add as well, from young, like I wasn't raised religious at all. Like my mum was kind of mm-hmm. just whatever. My dad, I suppose he's Muslim, but I didn't really chat to him at all. And mm-hmm. I used to pray like from such a young age, but I didn't know who I was praying to. So from like yeah. seven or something, I remember I used to go to the window and be like, whoever's listening, I just pray that you protect <laughs> my family and please let this go well tomorrow Whoa. in school. And all these little prayers, that I, I don't know where I got mm. them from, but maybe I watched Simpsons or something. And I, something inspired me to start praying. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I was a proper little prayer, but like didn't didn't have a faith for it. It was just kind of play, praying to anyone. And I remember praying like all day. And as soon as I, it would cross my mind, being like, okay, please, please, please. And I was convinced that like if I pray enough, I'm gonna get it because anything else I prayed about, whether it be like, oh, can I grow a tit? Like I had no boobs for the whole of my school year. <laughs> I remember praying to grow a tit, and I grew a tit, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's listening. Like I remember just all these little kind of prayers that I have coming true, and I thought, yeah, okay, if I pray mm-hmm. really hard, this is gonna happen. And um, yeah, and I got to the final level and then I didn't get it. And it was devastating at the time for my little 15 year old self because I don't know, I'd walked around school telling everyone, oh, psh, might as well say your goodbyes now, I'm going to be famous, this is it. I really, <laughs> really backing myself. You were like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> this is my ticket. Like, <laughs> having conversations with my mum in the kitchen, like, so what are you going to do when I'm famous, mum? Like, how are you going to be able to cope? And she's like, all right, mum, just chill. Like, so now it's going to go. Anyway, that didn't happen and it was a bit disheartening, but carried on. Still did my auditions, got to sixth form. Um, and then I had a family member in London and I remember having quite a lot of auditions in London around the time. So I went to spend like some of a holiday with her. Maybe it was an Easter holiday or something like that. Stayed over there with them. And while I was there, I made friends with the neighbours and then would like go out with them. And I met a guy who ended up being my boyfriend. And it was like my first love and just like childhood dream of like oh my gosh look I've come to London and found like an amazing guy that loves me and uh, all this stuff and planned to move to London in September so the start of the next year um, because I'd applied for loads of colleges there once I'd met him and once I'd had my auditions there and thought oh actually London's quite all right I'm going to apply for colleges if I get into any then I'll make the decision then if I want to stay in Bristol if I want to go to the colleges but let me just apply and see how it goes Um, so did all that and then the summer holidays came had like most amazing time literally you know how it is when you're the first love of your life you're just like roses of are cropping up everywhere literally you look and, like, yeah, oh my course. god yeah like in that it's a shit show but it's also like the most amazing shit show <laughs> yeah 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 the thing is it was so new like it didn't even get to the shit show part like we literally just had mm. the best of the beginning stage and then unfortunately okay. he passed away which I've spoken about quite a few times but like mm. completely nothing to do with him there was a shootout in Bristol and a bullet hit the floor and hit him and I remember at the time mm-hmm. just feeling like this is film stuff this isn't like mm-hmm. first of all I didn't know if anyone to ever get shot that was just unheard of and second of all I didn't know anyone that had lost anybody under the age of like 80 at that time because you're 16 mm-hmm. years old like death happens in films or if someone's really ill or you know like even a car accident maybe could happen but not like somebody getting shot especially not yeah where like where I was at anyway and yeah it was horrible like 
even now, I, I suppose you don't, unless you've been through something similar, it's kind of hard to explain what it's like to lose like your first love or to lose a partner. Or it's, it's a completely different thing. And it's, it's horrible because you go through all these emotions and like, I'm never going to be loved again. Like, how am I ever going to feel like this? Or like, that's not fair. And like, you're angry. And as a 16 year old girl as well, like there's no training, first of all, to deal with your first love. I was about to that's say to that, how, that is a lot of, that's a big trauma to have to yeah. deal with. And I think a lot of us are not even used to even saying that word trauma. It's just kind of just like, you just process the emotion and you kind of keep it moving but it's actually a really traumatic experience of course like it's not even though when I look back at it I'm like I don't I don't even know if I'd be able to deal with it if it happened to me now do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like at 16 mm-hmm. I had some mad I don't know I suppose you're either like I don't even know what it is I, I just I remember because my memory is not even that great around that time in terms of like details but I just remember as soon as it happened just wanting to go to London straight away and not wanting to be around Bristol be around anyone that didn't understand the pain that I was feeling so I went straight up to London, spent time with his family and was there like for a lot of the summer and just like trying to process it. And also like I'm not the only one grieving, there's family members, there's all this other stuff going on. And in a weird way, like, and I don't think I've even spoke about this before, but like now I think about it, I really pushed away everyone that was close to me. Like I super pushed away my mom, I super pushed away my friends. Yeah, because they all just wanted to help me and be there for me. But I remember I'd feel angry if they'd get upset when they were speaking to me because I'd be like, you don't know what it feels like. I don't want you to be angry. Yeah, you weren't even as close to him as I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like feeling like resentment towards like my close people Mm -hmm. that wanted to be there and felt sorry for me. But I didn't want their emotion. I just wanted like, I just wanted to be on my own or with people that knew him, if you know what I mean. And I went into like a proper little antisocial kind of mode. and. Yeah, I remember just deciding, am I going to go to college here? Am I going to carry this on? Obviously, I couldn't stay with his family forever. Like, they were super lovely and welcoming. But, like, at some point, I was going to have to worry about where I was going to live and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I had this family member that lived in London as well that I was always super close with. Um, but they weren't necessarily the most stable. And I, I remember joining the college while I was still at his family's and like starting to feel like this is the best distraction I've had so far because I'm in yeah. a college where nobody knows who I am. They don't know what, what I've just been through. No one's talking to me about it. Like I can kind of just go here and like escape almost. Yeah, of course. And be who, like be whoever I want to be, like be bubbly yeah, mind be. without feeling like mm-hmm. oh, they know what's just happened kind of thing. Yeah. Tragedy. Yeah, of course. Mm. Um, and then, so I ended up doing college for a little bit. Then I met somebody that knew someone and long story short, got introduced to um, Jump Off. And mm. Jump Off at the time, you know about Jump Off. It was yeah, it was massive. Like, I wish it was still around because that was such a massive platform for loads of people to like network. And I've, I met pretty much most of the people in the industry that I know now in London. I met then when I was like 17 in Jump Off. Jump Off TV. And yeah, like, because it was a live event for those that don't know. Like, yeah. every other Monday and it would be like rap mm. battles and MCs would be there and producers and directors and presenters that I looked up to and actually talked to them or, you know, like it was super exciting time and I was kind of like a runner there so I'd help out making teas and they'd teach me how to edit and let me use their cameras and like I I kind of skimmed through things but this is when I knew I wanted to be a presenter rather than an actress at that time because I was like wow I can do something where I'm filming but I don't have to be someone else I can just be myself and chat and that's that's the job like it feels like it comes so naturally like I can just be myself on camera like how amazing is that for a a job um but as you know you don't get paid at the beginning for those kind of jobs Mm -hmm. so I was in college. And obviously you were living in London and this is like, so how were you really realistically at that time? Surviving. To support, yeah, to support yourself. So I was on, what was that thing called where you get the money from college? 
Um, oh, EMA. I was on EMA, yeah, I was on EMA. EMA. Yes. I was on EMA. At this point, I've kind of skimmed through, but I've moved to the family member's house at this point when I've started at Jump Off. And they're letting me live there for like free if I just pay like gas and electric at that point. So like my EMA was going on maybe like gas if I could afford gas. And then I was just doing college and then I was going to Jump Off in the evenings. And then I realized I need money to actually live because my family would send me like a little bit, but not enough to actually get around London. I was bumping trains. Oh, London's expensive. Yeah, like, I don't think you can do it now, and I don't recommend anybody doing this now. I'm not incriminating anyone. <laughs> but I used to, like, get super dressed up, like, like, go to a train and be like, oh, my God, I forgot my roster, and then, like, blag my way blag my way through train station to get to college because I didn't have money for Uber. Um, not Uber, sorry, money for train. And I remember even one time I walked from King's Cross to Labrick Grove. Not even one time, and many Whoa. times I walked from King's Cross to Labrick Grove station because I didn't have money for a bus. And I'd be like, okay, right, make sure my phone's charged. I can do this walk and proper like back and forth it. And then I started working at Urban Outfitters, which made it a bit easier. And I had like a part-time slash full-time job that they were super supportive of me doing presenting and stuff. So they'd allow me if I had a, I don't know, an interview to do. They'd be like, whatever, yeah. yeah, they'd let me off a yeah. bit. Um, and then I remember I started working at Lipsy as well in Westfield. So I... Oh, yeah. so your nightlife outfit game was on point then? Yeah, I had my raving outfit. <laughs> you had looks. My uniform. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was how I got it. And I'd do that thing where you'd wear outfits and then take them back. Like, I was fully out here on the returning <laughs> Making sure I wasn't sweating. Like, fully. I'd call tucking tags and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Airing it out, then once. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, I did all the little tricks that you could do to, like, have money and appear like you... Not have money, sorry, and appear like you were okay, just so you could, mm. you know what I mean, blend in a little bit. But even, like, my close friends at the time, I remember, like, speaking to them years after and being like, did you know, like, my situation or, like, that I was living where I was living or anything like that? And they're like, no, I had no idea because I was shy to tell people. <laughs> One day I think I'll write a book in detail about everything because it is a bit surreal. But then when I was it is in so it, crazy. Yeah, it's too, it's too mad. And mm-hmm. I'm, I, I can only relate to you because when I moved to New York, the first apartment that I lived in, obviously I never had money to like get my own space. So I did like a flat share thing on Craigslist, mm. which basically was just like deathtrap.org. Yeah. And I took a room out and the, the point, moving point for me is one time I remember I, do you remember over a door frame that like you used to have like the glass window that you could, some houses had it where you could see through. Yeah. And I remember standing on the bed and looking through and basically seeing all these crackhead mates like stealing my shit. Mate. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, okay, I need to get out of here. Like, this is so peak right now. I literally locked myself mm-hmm. in the bedroom and I was like, what am I going to do? I need to move. But yeah. just that uncertainty, I can't even imagine that. Obviously, it was a family member, so it's a bit more of a different dynamic. But like, just the uncertainty of thinking, okay, well, my family are not here. This ain't my house. This ain't my setup. Like, were yeah. you a bit worried about like, okay, what, what next? Like, what's my next step? Yeah, 100%. I think as well, when I look back on it, that was probably my biggest motivation as well. Because I think that if I'd lived somewhere in London where I was super comfortable, I didn't really have to stress about working that much. I knew I had food every day. I wouldn't have had so much drive to get out there. Yeah, Yeah. And I think that like, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, because I was Mm -hmm. like a machine at at 16, 17, because I was like, nope, I'm not staying here. I'm going to do as much as I can to get out of here. Whereas I think a lot of other people my age, obviously you're comfortable, you're living your life at 16, 17, you're just having fun, nothing's really that serious. Mm, people but, like the bank of mum and dad most times. So yeah, like, and I didn't really, zone. yeah, I didn't have that. My mum couldn't send me a lot of money, like she could, she'd do what she could, my aunties would do what she could, but like it, it wasn't enough for me to stay there to the extent that they were all like, come home, like my mm. dad, it's not worth it, like just come back. 
And I remember being like, no, I've just got this interview with so-and-so and I'm just about to record this video doing this. Like, let me just try and see how it works. And I was lucky to have the security of like, okay, do you know what? If it really fucks up in London, my mum's always going to welcome me back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my like safety blanket there. But at the same time, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to go back because I've left there. People have started to notice in Bristol, like, bless my, like, she's gone through this and she's really pushed through it and started working. Like, I don't want to let myself down. And I want to go back. To, yeah, yeah I want to be able to be that person yeah. that actually does it rather than like just crumbling at the first couple of hurdles. So I thought, let me just go and. Yeah, through that, I suppose that motivation and push of drive of like, I need to do better so I can get out and actually, you know, just have my own shit going on and prove all these people wrong that think that it's impossible to come from that and do that. And yeah, there was a lot of like weird pride that I had as well of like, no, I've left. I've done the whole London thing. I'm not coming back with my legs, tail in between my legs or whatever the phrase is. And yeah, loads of just stuff. And eventually, actually, Penny was my first little saving grace because oh. Penny, yeah, she was, uh, she, she was a friend through a friend basically. And she kind of scooped me under her wing. And once we got close, she knew about where I was living and everything like that. And she was just like, you can't live there. And like, was like, come and stay with me and you can pay me like just the tiniest bit of rent. Or if you can, if you even can pay me, you don't have to pay me until you can. And I'll just like, I just want you to be able to focus on like what you're doing because you're good. And like, you've got ambition and all that. Like she was like a little angel basically that came out and was like, I'll help you out while you get your shit together. And then when you can sort it out, then you can pay me when, you, when you're at a place to not, not any time before, which is so rare of somebody that doesn't even yeah, know that. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And she like mad changed my life at that point because I had money coming in from working, but I didn't have money to pay rent in London. So that mm. was like the hugest saving grace. And that's when I first started working at Four Music. Once I got with her, how so? Do you, how many details do you want me to go over with this? <laughs> no, because I just think that when you started at Jump Off, was that kind of like your first experience in front of the lens? Because it's like yeah. that's quite a that's quite a big jump to jump from Jump Off to like for music. Like, were you going on auditions? Did you have to do any training? Like, what was the transition so, period? The transition. If I go back out of personal stuff into worky, I uh, did loads of free shit at Jump Off and just practiced in their room with cameras and would go and hit film hidden camera pranks and all this stuff and put it on YouTube and mm. a lot of people would just start on YouTube it wasn't big back then it was new so I don't think you could really get paid for it then this is like 2012 mm-hmm. maybe before they started monetizing yeah before you could hashtag <laughs> ad before all of this stuff yeah. it was just like a platform <laughs> to have fun and yeah so did that and then someone saw one of my videos on um YouTube, because I used to harass people online, like I'd at like Wiley, I'd at like odd ads and shallow, all these people that I knew from jump offs and stuff. And I'd be like, repost my video, repost my video. And they'd repost <laughs> it for me. So I'd have like all mm. the rappers fan base that I knew in person, like supporting, well, maybe some of them watching my videos and then like trying to build my stuff on Twitter. And then that got seen um, by a few people. And then uh, Popper 90 was my first. Copper 90 was my first paid job that came from Jump Off. Copper 90 was like the biggest football channel in Europe at the time online. And Poet's Corner, who I met through Jump Off as well, and Vijanic, David Vijanic, um, they were on there already and they were looking for a female presenter. And I remember Poet being like, you should audition for it. So I went and auditioned and I got the role and that was a series called Football Virgin, which is still on YouTube now. And that was my first, yeah, that was my first paid presenting job. I was like, raw. I'm doing YouTube videos. I'm going around doing all this sort of stuff and they're actually paying me. And it was good money. I think it was like, for what it was, two grand a month, I think. 
I was like, great. And I'm filming the yes, at the time. That's a like, lot of money, to be honest. At that age, for that age, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd never been paid for presenting ever. So like, and I was getting paid like £900 a month for working at Urban Outfitters. So I remember being like, no way. I'm going to get double that for actually doing something I love. Like, this is wild. Um, so did stuff with Copper 90 for a while. And that was really where I fell into like my little, my drama presenting stuff. And then it went on to TV after that. So in terms of presenting your first job with the football stuff, did you have one, did you have to have football knowledge stroke experience? And two, did it kind of give you any key skills which which you were able to take into TV that you never had before? Yeah, I think the main thing with presenting is like confidence. Mm. As soon as you're confident to speak in front of a camera, you can do anything. Because like you can technically be a good presenter. You can sit in your room and do stuff to camera on your own, which like I've, I've commend people for doing which is still a skill in itself but like actually taking it to telly or online or whatever it is shows you have to feel comfortable with eyes on you at all times you have to feel comfortable like just being yourself in front of strangers with a camera because camera's kind of daunting mm. and once you're comfortable with that it's, it's just practice for anything else like the confidence is like 50 percent of it i'd say and then the rest of it is just practice and going into your own zones and like rehearsing and stuff. Because there's little apps that I used to use. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like an auto cue app mm. where you put a script into it and it, you press play and you can pin, pin it up in front of you somewhere and it will go through and you've got to read. And oh, to do that naturally, like to be able to read naturally on camera without sounding like a robot is kind of hard. It's hard. And I'm short sighted and I've had to do it before. And I'm just like, yeah, and the uh, squinting head to the side. Yeah. And the, the fire <laughs> ones mean full stop. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's so hard, <laughs> and I'm just like, can you increase the font size? Because I can't see. <laughs> so that is it's an so option, tough. That is an it's so tough. That is an option. But you do it so effortlessly, which I feel does actually require skill. It's a skill within itself to be able to do it. Effortlessly. It's practice, yeah. I think everything. Like you, even now, if I get shows, like the other day I did the sport relief thing, and that is huge for me. Like I, I never even think that they would consider me a year ago mm. to do something like that, and. That's viewed by millions and millions of people. You're raising money for charity. The tone of it's very different because mm. you go from playing a funny clip and laughing about a joke to then talking about people dying. Yeah. And like that for me is a new skill that I've had to learn because I'm typically quite like jokey and silly and like, oh, because I'm laughing. But then to go into like a serious mode and read something about domestic violence or people dying, like it's hard to go from a laughy thing to a serious thing like that when you're you're on telly especially like even a normal conversation if I'm talking to you about like someone dying and then I'm going anyway there's a jokey thing now like to get the tone right and that but it's very it's very like those kind of things are like new skills that even I'm learning to, to do it seamlessly I suppose it's all just practice like you practice watching clips and you practice talking to things and you I watch other people like I think Emma Willis is amazing Davina has always been like one of my mm. idols you uh, I love her so much <laughs> and she always did it so well I, I think the best presenters are ones that seem genuine or are genuine when they're talking about things not mm. just somebody that will have like a bit of information and just yeah this is amazing and no 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 like if you're talking about something serious mm. like you've got to care about it um, but yeah I think just watching people that you look up to, practicing in your own room and in your own private space and then in front of your friends and then building that up into a bigger group of friends and just slow steps like being like that or just getting flung into the deep end sometimes just works because flight or flight, what is it called? Flight or fight? 
like single swim. swim, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> there's been jobs where I'm just like, fuck it. You know what? I'm not prepared for this, but I'm just going to make a laugh. Oh, you'll be putting on Insta. I'm literally on my way to this job and I'm reading my lines now and I'm just like, this is Yeah. Like, how, how does she maintain? Yeah, is this a lot? I do. I'm, how do I'm you like maintain? Super, Julie will tell you, I'm literally like the most last minute, like fuck it kind of person where I'm like, you know what? If it's going to work, it's going to work. If it ain't, it ain't, fuck it. Like I don't, I don't allow myself to stress out about things that, just aren't worth stressing out about ever and I'll just go for it and if it works good if it doesn't but that doesn't mean don't practice as well I mean you have to practice a bit and then go with the fuck it mentality but yeah (laughs) and I think I think what's been interesting to see with you is that your journey has seemed like it's kind of just you're still climbing and even though like I feel like you're probably at the top of your game like one of the best presenters I would say out there at the moment it's just like your journey time from when people first was like, okay, from jump off to like having um, a, a show on like a massive station to like now like all the opportunities that you get has, when you think about it in terms of the business world has happened in quite a short space of yeah. time. Um, do you think that, well, is there any tips I should say that you, or things that you've learned along the way that if you was to look back now, you would have said, okay, probably would have done that a bit different but um yeah probably loads there's loads of things I think the most most big lesson the biggest lesson I've learned is that I should have I don't know I don't know actually let me think about this because part of me wants to say like take time and don't don't worry like it's not going anywhere like you don't have to work seven jobs in one day and you have to squeeze everything in. But then at the same time, I don't think I'd be where I was if I didn't have that period where I was just like Terminator. So it's it's like a one of those things. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a catch-22, but it. I do feel like the hustle mentality in us never leaves, one. But two, I think that when you when you use your, when you adapt your hustle mentality on a, on a wider scale, I think then you do have the opportunity to be a bit more choosy in what you spend your 100%. time doing because it's almost a bit like you've clawed your way out of that barrel now. And now it's like to be able to... It's so interesting because I had another conversation saying that it wasn't necessarily about... Um, once you've made it now, it's about constantly learning, but it's also about making smart decisions. And I feel yeah. like, you know, when you're a bit younger, like you just think, oh, I can do everything and I want to do everything and I want to be everywhere. And then, you know, as time goes on, you think, actually, I can be a little bit more selective because I've put in the hustle yeah. and I've put in the hard work. And now I can use that to be able to like benefit me to the next level. And to the next level means actually playing that corporate game or just thinking a little bit more smart yeah. with the tools that you've got now. Because the more that you're doing, I guess, and the more of those jobs that you were doing the more skills that you were mm-hmm. learning to be able to amplify your platform into a bigger space and now you're in a different hemisphere you're not at, and with no disrespect to anybody who's a bit still at jump off level but you're not at jump off level mm. anymore you know so now but without those skills you wouldn't be where you yeah. are now so I just feel like it, it's it's a bit of a catch it too, but also it's like now you're a bit more selective with what but you also do. yeah it's balance as well because I, I did fuck up a few times because a couple of years ago when I was working like I'd wake up start my first job at like eight or whatever, whether that be like filming something like an interview or whatever job I was doing at the time, then full music, that's a live TV show, do that from like one till five. Mm-hmm. Then after that, go and DJ somewhere or host an event. And then your day is from 8am till like 12 o'clock at night. And you're doing that multiple times mm-hmm. a week and you're not really having any days off. I remember I had like a mini little, not a breakdown, but I remember being like, I don't want to do this anymore to my makeup artist on the mm-hmm. way to one of these jobs because I'd worked for like three weeks straight with no days off 
There was no, there was no Sunday break. It was maybe even four weeks, like a month. And I remember being like, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing one day a week, one job a day. I'm doing multiple things in a day where I have to learn a script or I have to be on stage in front of people, super excited, Maya, and then go and DJ or then do this. And then I'd come back home and I'd be with, I don't know, my friends or my boyfriend, whatever it was at the time and be like, I'm just not enjoying it anymore because I'm doing so much myself so thin that my actual social life or my family or whatever it is, don't get any of my attention because I'm just knackered and it's not fun and I remember that stage yeah. yeah I was like no I need to I need to stop this now because this is this is too much but it was at the stage where I felt like I was on the brink of becoming the next level of what I wanted to become and I didn't want to take my foot yeah. off the pedal because I'm like my well, this next job could lead to this job that you always wanted or this thing could open this thing like don't mm-hmm. stop now and yeah I think a lot of people in creative industries or like if you're freelance if you're in I don't know different positions like that you're going to get to that point where you're like I don't feel like I can not work because I won't get to that position that I want to get in if I take a break now. Mm-hmm. But I just say it's, it's, it's about trying to find the balance and maybe easing up on one thing that ain't necessarily going to change your life for the thing that is and balancing all of that stuff. And also I take now that I can, fortunately, I just take a holiday. And that instantly, as soon as I've gone on holiday, I come back. And it doesn't even have to be abroad, sometimes just to Bristol and take a bit of time off and then when you come back you feel revitalized and re- ready yeah ready yeah. to get back into it like I love just running off mainly on my own and I'll come back and I'm like new bitch I feel ready to do it all over again so now that you've got a bit more control I would say creative control on what your career is looking mm-hmm. like who is your kind of team because there must be a BTS I know obviously <laughs> everyone sees MJ or Maya J oh I call you MJ but Maya J I'm a front facing mm-hmm. but like like who's your BT there must be someone that's helping you BTS and like your business affairs like, that's not something that you kind of just like literally chime all no, in no no so, no so what, who's kind of like your your, crew, my, my your BTS crew that, like. I like to say yeah. <laughs> my squad so I've got my manager Izzy who's just like fucking G like she got with me when mm-hmm. she was 25 and I was 18 baby and she just come from being an assistant manager and she only had like one of her clients think at the time and she mad believed in me and wanted me and was like, I think we can do six stuff together. And like, yeah, she was like team me before I even knew her. And so we got together and she's just, yeah, she's kind of like, she does more than what she should. She's like a mama child at the same time as an agent manager. Like she will, if I'm, for example, wanting to cancel something because I've had a late night in the box the night before, whatever, she'll be like, nope, you're coming there. Like even to the extent that she'd come to my house if she had to and make sure that I went to this job or whatever it was. And and she rides for me like it's her, you know what I mean? I suppose it is her bag as well. (laughs) But like she she does more than what she should do as a manager anyway. And she's amazing. She's been funny. I've been with her for time now, 25. So yeah. And then she's got an assistant called Laura who does my day to day. And she'll make sure literally that I'm up in the morning and text me like, okay, remember you've got this, this, this today. You're going here. There's a car coming for you at this time and da 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 And like mad structures my day and we'll sort out like appointments and all that kind of stuff. And then I have a personal assistant who's a woman called Adelaide, who's lovely. And she helps me with my personal life. So things like, I don't know, I've just bought a house. So she's helping me with all that moving stuff. <laughs> Say that again for the people at the just back. The Say house. that again for the people at the back, MJ. Yes, sir. Give it to yeah, them. Yeah, which is nuts. Fucking, I'm the first person to own a house in my family, I think, apart from like my great grand. So, that's yeah, that's really, I'm, I'm proud of myself for that one. In London as well, which seems like an impossible task. But yeah, so she she does all my like personal things. Like she'll get my friends presents. <laughs> it's like 
to help me if I need to go to the doctors or, you know, those kind of like day-to-day stuff. And then I have my glam team, which are literally like my therapists because I see them every day, basically, apart from Sundays. So like Letitia, who's my makeup artist, who we have a mad relationship. She actually just followed me on Instagram about four years ago, three years ago, saying, hey, I'd like to do your makeup one time. And then after that first time, we've literally been joint at the hip. So now she's like my best friend and everything. And then you've got hair, Aaron and Patrick are you. I don't know how much detail we're going into. Yeah, Aaron and Patrick, they're amazing. Yeah, and I have a PR called Jack, who's lovely. He basically sorts out anything public. So like anytime I do an interview or if I'm in a magazine or I don't know, any kind of press, basically, he's the guy. If papers make up stuff, he's the one that has to call them to say, hey, that's not right. So yeah, he, he helps a lot. No, but essentially you employ these people, like they... Yeah, so they're all my team, yeah, they're, they're all under yeah, my life. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then who else do I have? I think that's just it. And then stylists, yeah, which I work with like an array of stylists as well. Mm-hmm. So they're like my... They come out of my pocket <laughs> every month. Of course, basically. but I was going to say like... so. And, and does your agent, does your... Does Izzy manage that whole business side of it? So she makes sure everyone gets paid? Like obviously you're set up probably, I'm assuming as a company and all the yeah. business side is handled by... Yeah, so basically at first, before I was making enough money, it would just be like, all right, we've got a... She'd be like, Maya, you can only spend this much on glam this month, so work out which things you want hair and makeup for. And then now some people are on a retainer, some people are paid by job, and she will oversee it and be like, okay, look, you're spending a lot on glam this month. Is there a way that you can just do a big shop with a stylist so that you don't have to pay money for styling outfits each time? Or yeah, she'll oversee that side of it. Make sure that the business is making sense. Yeah, I would never like, I would never, actually that's a lie, now I would, but at the beginning stages, I would always make sure that whatever job I was doing was paid enough more than whatever my glam was costing, so that Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know what I mean, I wasn't going backwards, it was always just like that kind of, (laughs) yeah, yeah, basically. What's like a typical work day for you? Obviously, like you said, we see you do multiple things in one day, but it's like, what's a typical work day for you? Work day. Uh, it's so weird because apart from radio, which I do Fridays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., my weekday is always completely different because I'm, mm. I'll am i do like a campaign. Say, for example, right now, I'm a Aussie hair ambassador. So I would do like, okay, this could be an example day that I did a week ago or something where you wake up in the morning, then you go into hair and makeup at about 8.30, 8 a.m. And then you do press interviews for the campaign and then you'll do the photo shoot for the campaign and then after that there'll be like a I don't know meet and greet situation or something to do with that campaign or whatever it is or film videos that are going out for the promo and then in the afternoon um, not the afternoon in the early evening go and DJ at like a brand event which I don't know some hairstyle thing or whatever it is for a couple of hours then go that would be like a typical day or go there and film an interview for something I work with a lot of brands now so most of my jobs are like brand collaboration-y things where they'll want me to interview people or film little clips or whatever, or I'll host events or, I don't know, do photo shoots for stuff. It's, it's weird. It's very like, it's around the same pool of things, but I do loads of different stuff within presenting. So like voiceovers for shows or film a TV show. And you have to do box pops, which are like the little things where you're running around on the street talking to strangers to go into the TV show. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Oh, it's all different, but it's exciting. I'm also just super, like, get bored really easily. And I think I couldn't do any other job where, like, my today was exactly the same. Like, it needs to be different things for me to keep excited by it. Sick. I love that. And I think for you, one thing that I've always wanted to ask you about is, like, how do you kind of maintain 
a bit of because we also obviously you went through quite a public breakup and I think something that I really wanted to speak to you about mostly was like how did you work on your self-esteem within that time and just making sure that you were good because I feel like everything you're quite a public facing person so people feel like they have the right to be all up in your business you know and yeah. I think for someone that is again your business relies on you being quite public facing but your personal life doesn't how were mm. you able to kind of manage that on a self-esteem level because mentally that must have been quite difficult yeah it's so weird I think I might have said it earlier but a lot of the like really big things in my life that I think I would look from the outside and be like well how are you dealing with that when I'm in it it doesn't feel like it it's only when I'm out of it that I look back and I'm like that was a lot you know that like that is actually a lot but at the time I'm just like okay let's just go 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 like I don't allow myself really and I don't I wouldn't recommend other people doing this it's just what works for me but like I don't allow myself to be down in the dumps of things that are out of my control. For example, like a breakup. Okay, we're breaking up. That's happening. If we're in a public relationship, you know that if you ever break up, it's going to be a public breakup. Inevitable. It's going to be public. So when it happens, you're just kind of like, okay, this is it. It's happening. Like I'm in it. This is what this is what a public breakup is. And you just go. Like you just go through it. And I think me personally. I was in a relationship for a very long time, like nearly five years. And I had like a new lease of like kind of excitement and just like, okay, I'm going to use this time to spend with my friends and I'm going to do, I'm going to go on better holidays and I'm going to have loads of fun girl trips and do all that kind of stuff. And I just, I didn't allow myself to feel down in the dumps of it for any longer than I needed to because I don't know. I'm also like one of those annoying, like hard nutty people that is like, I've been through worse. I'm not going to let myself cry over this. But I'm like, one of those ones. and yeah, just, just, just keeping it moving and having stuff to look forward to, I think is such a big thing when you're going through any situation that's supposed to make you feel shit is just having things to look forward to. Even if it's the tiniest, like one that will link up with your mate at the end of the week or like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go shopping and treat myself on this, or I'm going to have a pamper day with all my girls. And it's just putting in things, that I could always look look forward to so that even if I had a bad day where I'm feeling like ah, then at well, least I know mm-hmm. something's coming there that I'm going to feel good about. Uh, yeah, but I am just naturally quite, and it's probably quite annoying, like I am quite naturally just like a fuck it, be positive kind of person and it's helped me deal with my personal experiences. So I just see it as like, you know what, as shit as whatever situation I'm in is now, it's happened, there's nothing I can do about it, we move literally and I'm oh, gonna... literally <laughs> <laughs> yeah we actually move how but... do you find time to kind of surround make sure that you're kind of surrounding yourself with the right people and the people who are going to like encourage you and give you that pickup that you might need I think I'm super lucky that I've got like genuine genuine people around me from like childhood that are still in my life people like Penny my best friends in mm-hmm. Bristol and blah 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 and I, and I think like I just naturally am around people that are uplifting I don't think I've got any friends that are like ah, and complaining and miserable all the time. Like I just, I just don't naturally surround myself with people like that. And I think that's only for experience and through like life that you kind of wean out the people that you don't feel make you feel good. I just feel like any in any situation, if you're around somebody that when you tell them good news or if when you're in a good spirit, that that ain't there to uplift that and encourage that and actually have the opposite angle or like try and make you feel shit about stuff. You just got to dash dash them don't have them around because it's it's it plays such a huge part like it's it plays such a huge part when you call your friends telling them something yeah and then you're like oh my god and like I've got friends that come have completely different experiences me like one of my friends studying to be a teacher so she's in uni so like she'll be studying loads and I'll be like oh I'm just here for fine to hear (laughs) and like it's quite easy for someone to be like oh fuck (laughs) off mate you're doing that like do you know what I mean like it could probably be a bit annoying sometimes (laughs) but 
she's just as happy for me as if it was her mm. own self. And like same whenever she has her wins. Like you need people that celebrate you with you and not like, yeah, there are a lot of bad mind people out there and a lot of people are super smart. And I haven't always realized it because I think I'm quite naive mm. in the sense of I'm like everyone, like my exes have always said that or my best friends have always said like, Maya, you shouldn't think everybody has the same intentions yeah. as you. Like you can't, not everyone's your friend. And because I'm such a social person and I'm like, they're really nice. Like, I like them. And I'm mad open and like will welcome people into my space and all that stuff. And then then hear that like somebody's done some snaky shit and I'll be like, oh my God, how? And my friends are like, duh, like don't think these people have the same intentions as you all the time. And I have had to learn through time of just like, okay, Maya, maybe Close don't like let someone be a best friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up, so it, it's trial and error. Does Definitely. it ever get too much? I think now in this in this era where, you know, everything's very social media led and accessibility is one thing because, you know, you, you're using your platform for, you know, to support your brand identity, support your messaging, to support your projects. But also the flip side of that, again, is like what I said earlier, is that people feel like because you're a public figure that they have the right to literally say and do whatever they want to you. And yeah. how are you kind of managing all of these, this trolling? I don't know. There's, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just used to it, you know. I think that's the only way to put it down because definitely when I first started having people either say mean things or, you know, comment on my appearance or anything like that in a negative way, like it does affect you because you're like, raw, like mm. why? Or like you hear stuff that you don't know about yourself. It's not normal to know what a stranger's opinion is mm. about you without speaking mm, to them. Do you know what I mean? Like people yeah, form. of course. Yeah, it, it is nuts. But because maybe because I've been doing it since I was like 16, 17, and I've had opinions since that age, and I've had like everything going on around and having to deal with it, and then actually realizing that like anyone I think that knows me in person has actually had a conversation with me would, I assume, have just nice things to say about me. So all the stuff that is said by strangers, I can't penny to that much because I know that I know who I am now, and that's another thing I think I feel really proud of myself because I do really really think I know who I am and I know myself and I'm happy with myself as a person so other people's opinions don't affect me as much as they would in the past or they can't they can't hurt me really because I'm like okay that's what you think but I know what I am and I know you know what I mean and and it's a really big struggle to get to that place where you love yourself and that you know who you are especially in this world where everything's telling you not to and everyone's like yeah but what about this and it's, it's really difficult but once you are even just a slightly bit there and you think, you know what, I, I like this mm-hmm. about myself and I might not have that and I might have done that, but I've done this and I've done that and I've, I have this even though I don't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's just about reaffirming yourself and, and and taking a step back from what other people have to say about you and looking at yourself and thinking, no, do you know what? I like me. So even if you don't, that's not my business. Is, Sorry about it. Don't cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah but trolls, <laughs> you just got, you just got to take, <laughs> take it with a pinch of salt, but that's easy to yeah, say because me because I've been through it. But my advice, for people that have just started experiencing people being rude online and just started getting like hate or whatever it is, I would just say that if it's getting overwhelming, definitely just turn your phone off if you can. And also speak to your friends about it. Don't like just have it in your mind and overthink what you've read about yourself. Talk to your friends. I'm sure that people close to you will reassure you that it's not the case. And if it is the case, then at least maybe if you do need to check yourself, which I have had to sometimes as well, you can understand that and be like, yeah, you know what? needed to check myself over that that shouldn't have happened this shouldn't have happened da, 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 and then you you move forward and so it? i said it's kind of like so I think, five main tips to like managing and dealing with trolls so i was going to go through them with you yeah. like one is like don't respond <laughs> essentially yeah you know what i never respond unless i have something funny mm. to say back that's the only time i respond and i wouldn't even re- recommend that because then you just get drawn out and all they ever wanted was a reply in the, in the first place, place. so, so yeah, well, well that leads on to the second point which says basically just ignore them <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Three is like delete, block, unfollow them. So then they can't keep messaging yeah. you. Um, I think four is report mm-hmm. it. Do you report it? Do you ever report any of the stuff that comes through to you? No, I don't, you know, because I just think oh, it's too much effort. But I would say report it. If it feels like it's harmful and it, like they're threatening or anything like that, then definitely mm. report it. So f- 100%. But yeah, mute. Mute is amazing. I love yeah. a mute. I don't even really block people just anymore. Mute. I used to block yeah, people. Close it up. But now I mute them because I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to mute you so you can still see what I'm doing, but I don't have to worry about what you're saying because whatever I'm doing is obviously really bothering you. So I think the mute is actually a bit more of a beautiful thing than the block. Love that. But it's up to you. And then five is screenshots. Collect your receipts just in case you do have to like take it a bit further. At least you've got... Well, yeah. If it's really affecting you. So just to go over them, the the five tips kind of managing and dealing with trolls is don't respond, ignore, delete or mute, um, report it and obviously collect, collect your receipts, babes. Screenshots. Yeah. And then kind of like what I wanted to kind of clo- close on is like, when do you feel most comfortable like in your own skin? Because I think there's so much of you that, again, is forward facing. So when do you kind of feel the most comfortable when you're just, you know, you? Mm, probably one of my little house link ups when I'm just at mine and my friends around and like I'm in my pyjamas and we're all just chatting and drinking wine and everyone's in a nice spirit, probably there. But then on holiday, every I feel like I'm the true me when I'm on holiday. <laughs> as soon as I'm in the sun and I'm abroad, I'm like, oh, why do I even live in England? So just like being, yeah, free and on holiday, summer warm. Oh, but what do you mean? Like internally, true in my skin. Both. Just like, when do you feel free. most comfortable in your own skin? Like just without... I don't know. When do you feel most comfortable? I feel most comfortable in my own skin... Do you know what? When I'm actually at home, in my own space, like, I spend a lot of time travelling and I spend a lot of time building and supporting others so actually when I'm in my own mm. space that's when I feel most comfortable I'm not really around anyone yeah free up when I'm alone and at home which is coincidentally what's happening to me right now but like, what you're <laughs> but basically that's when I probably and what's what's next what are you allowed to tell us because obviously a lot of your <laughs> stuff is kind of on lockdown on yeah, yeah, secret. secret one secret secret kind of 007 well, one. but what are you allowed was- to share with us yeah, well, I was supposed to be filming a film in April, but that's been pushed back because mm-hmm. lockdown. So I'm doing my first film, which is exciting. We haven't started filming it, but that's supposed to be filmed in the Caribbean somewhere. So you, I can't tell too much details. But yeah, that'll be interesting because I have wanted to start acting. Well, I always wanted to act, but I just I became a presenter. So it just got pushed to the back a little bit. And now I'm like, you know what? Let me try. So that's going to be the first thing when, when that resumes. And also my fucking face mask. Oh, yes, <laughs> Been, yeah, I have been in process, in progress, whatever the word is, in in making for time. But obviously, things can't be shipped in and out at the moment, so it's put another halt to it. But it was supposed to come out around now. So, so next for you soon, is the face marks when they can. My face. Oh, marks. I can't wait. Yeah. Are we allowed to know the name or no? And I will be stocking you up. Are we allowed to know what they're called, or is that all top secret? Um, yeah. Well, my initials are M I J, so M I J mask. Or midge masks. I'm, I'm, I'm actually at decided midge or MRJ, but yeah, love it. Um, oh, my babes thank you thank you thank you for giving me your time pleasure. out of your busy schedule but like on a serious one like I just wanted to say like you inspire me so much like your work ethic is like no ever like I swear to you like if anyone's not following my jam I don't understand how you are but how you are not I should say but like your work <laughs> ethic actually makes me tired just watching you on social media makes me tired <laughs> and I'm super like you know I'm so happy thank for you, you. I'm 
I'm so inspired by you and I can't wait for you to see like what's next like being a homeowner at 25 years old is definitely deserves deserves uh, like if I had a soundboard I would definitely be giving you all the da-na-na-na's in the world because <laughs> because you deserve it sis you deserve all the blessings you deserve it you work hard for it and thank you definitely you. definitely deserve it so thank you again for your thank time you. I appreciate you with my wholeheartedness my and for anyone who's not following you that needs to get with the times socials social media handles for them so shout um, also I was going to say I've drank two glasses of wine during this <laughs> I'm ready to go out <laughs> I've been sat here literally feeling like I'm in a bar um, but yeah my socials are M-A-Y-A-J-A-M-A on everything my jammer and Irene you are coming to the house I'm ready I'm sis ready I can't wait uh, th- those floaty ceiling windows party after party we're ready sis we're ready thank you so much again thank you <laughs> my love enjoy love I'll see you soon thank you bye hi guys so that concludes today's episode on purpose and presenting with Maya Jammer what an incredible journey that she's had before Maya left we asked her for five tips on what she thinks in her eyes it takes to be a successful presenter. Hope you guys find these tips useful. See you next week. I'm Irene TTYA and this is the TTYA Talks, the podcast. Later. My five top tips for being a presenter. Be persistent. You're going to get loads and loads of knockbacks and no's and things that don't go right the first time, but just keep going and going. Practice makes absolute perfect. Um, Be nice. Be kind to people. You never know who you're going to run into from the bottom at the top. It's just common courtesy. Be nice to people. There's some people that are rude out there and everyone knows it. Um, Three would be... Um, three would be confidence. Build up your confidence. Practice as much as you can in the mirror to yourself. But as I said before, practice on your friends. Push yourself to do things that maybe do scare you a little bit in terms of like speaking publicly and just, yeah, confidence. Build that. Uh, four would be genuinely care about who you're speaking to. You need to be interested, otherwise everyone can tell. If you're doing something and you look bored, no one's going to want to watch something boring. So be interested in the things that you're doing and other people will be too. And then five is enjoy it. Have fun. It's an enjoyable job if you can do it. And so just, just see the fun in it. Have a laugh. Talk to people, get to know people. Like, don't even take it so much as a job sometimes. Think of it as like an exciting journey where you're going to meet loads of people and find out loads of new things. (laughs) Those are my five tips.